Welcome to So You Want to Be a Farmer. I'm Melissa, and I live in suburban Maryland. I love to play in my garden, try out all kinds of homesteading techniques, and fantasize about living on a farm. In other words, I'm the wannabe. My friend Wendy is the actual farmer. In July of 2021, she packed up the contents of her townhome and with her two kids, dog, and two cats, moved to rural North Carolina. Why are we here? When Wendy decided to fulfill her dream of buying a farm, I wanted to make sure I could follow along every step of the way. This podcast is my opportunity to partake in the experience while helping her document the ups, the downs, and the in-betweens. We are friends, working professionals, Jewish mothers, and total noobs. Neither of us have any experience farming or homesteading. Some of you brave risk takers will relate to Wendy. Others, like me, will listen from the sidelines and continue to fantasize about starting our own farm someday while growing whatever we can in our backyards and trying our hands at living the homestead life in the burbs. So join us each week to experience the farm life with Wendy as she navigates the unexpected challenges and delights of her adventure. Thanks for joining us as we embark on our adventure together. In our first episode, Wendy talks about her farm dream and how she decided to take the leap at the age of 52. We hear what the neighbors, aka fellow tractor supply customers, have to say to the new kid on the block, and we recognize the day of the dead. Spoiler alert, it's not what you think. Wendy, where are you right now? And what are you doing? Uh, it's, it's Sunday morning, so I am sitting at my dining room table um, in my house on my nine acres um, outside of about 45 minutes south of Asheville in a town called Tryon, North Carolina. And what I'm doing is uh, actually fighting the urge to do things, do th- mm-hmm. because normally I wake up in the morning and there are 10,000 things I want to do, so... I am having my iced coffee and I'm talking to my dear friend. And waking up in the morning and wanting to do 10,000 things is not necessarily only because you are now a homesteader. It is just your way of life and yeah, way of being. It's, it's just who I am. I can wake up in the morning halfway through a list before my eyes open. Yeah. <laughs> it's not always a good thing. My my children have been telling me, it's like, you need to learn how to relax and at 52, I don't know that that's possible. And I also don't know that I want to. Mm-hmm. How long have you dreamed of having a farm? Uh, at least the last 10 years. Um, it has been, it has been in the imagination stage, the I could do this when I retire stage. It has been, um, what if I built a full-time consulting business and didn't have to work in an office stage? Um, And then I would say really in the last three, four years, it was um, mapping out the steps of exactly what do I have to do to make this possible as a single woman, as a single parent, as, you know, a child taking care of aging parents, like what, what was going to have to happen in my life to make this change. And Mm -hmm. it was really, I would say like the last three years of, of solid planning. Where did the idea initially come from? How long was that percolating? I have absolutely no idea um, where it originally came from. It's, it's, um, my dad grew up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin. So I didn't know that. You didn't know that. No, I did not. My dad grew up on a, a dairy farm in Wisconsin and a few times in my life, not many, we went to the dairy farm. Um, his cousin Chuck ended up taking it over and um, Chuck and I have been, Chuck was actually hugely helpful in the purchase of this farm because he gave me really good wow. advice about what to look for on water and mineral rights and all those great things. Um, he thought I it was- I had better. no idea. That yeah. is so interesting. Okay. Yeah, he thinks I'm batshit crazy, but yeah. that's okay too. Most people think I'm crazy. Um, and I know, and that's one of the many reasons why I adore you is because you have been so supportive of this, uh, big step over the last, gosh, nine years, nine years that we've known each other. Has it been that long? Well, Eli and Sam were two, two and yeah. a half. 
right? And Eli's going to be 11 next yeah, week. Sam's 11 and a half. So yeah, it's been nine years that we've known each other. Wow. I didn't realize that. That's a long time. It is a long time. So I've known you almost as long as I've wanted a farm. Uh, so what pushed you at this particular point in your life mm -hmm. um, over the past, it's only been what, like year that really inspired you to take this step, become a homeowner and not just a homeowner, but a farm owner. COVID, COVID happened. Um, had a really good job that was place-based, you know, being, being in the DC area, needing to be there. And uh, COVID happened and I, more than anything else, wanted to be able to live and work wherever I wanted to be. I had the chance for the first time since the kids were born to be home when they got home from quote unquote school, right? So even if they were done with school at three o'clock in the afternoon, we could check in and I would go back to my Zoom screen and continue to work until five or whatever that was. But I saw my children um, for more than an hour and a half or two hours a day. And that was really incredible for me and a huge eye opener that this, this commuting back and forth and being in an office, even while doing you know, important work in the nonprofit community. We both work in the nonprofit community. Um, all of that's great, but I, I needed, needed to be with them and I needed to no longer live in a city. And I kept thinking, if I push this off until I'm of retirement age, I'm going to need a walker to walk around my farm. And that completely defeats the purpose of wanting to raise my own food, all of it, if possible, or as much of it as I possibly can, including animals, and live the life that I want to live. Why am I waiting for mm -hmm. some, what felt like, artificial deadline? I have so much respect for that, because I think a lot of us reflected on our lives over the past year if we were doing things that made us happy, we spent more time with our families and realized that we were missing out on something and that we wanted to experience some kind of change. For me, that was gardening and I have become sort of a fanatic in that respect, but a lot in of the people- the best possible way. Thank you. I do think it's been a wonderful experience for me and has changed me in a lot of good ways. Um, and a lot of us thought about making changes and didn't make changes. So the fact that you actually took that big step is commendable and amazing. And you are more of a risk taker than I am or than a lot of people are. But I'm sure that there were some, there were a lot of practical challenges, which you did yeah. have to deal with. But those are things that there's a lot of logic and order to those kinds of things, but mentally was there, there were, a... there were two, two okay. big things that I, that um, I think remain challenges, honestly, even though we've been here now for just about a month, um, pulling my kids out of their communities. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Biggest thing. Um, mm -hmm. Taking them out of the schools that they knew and um, the more suburban slash urban setting to truly this very small town, 1200 people live in our town. Um, and we are not even in town. So, you know, we, we drive seven miles to get to the, the 1200 people town, um, which is a little bit different than living in Bethesda in Maryland and where the high school that my son went to had 2200 students. We're more just, there were more people at the high school than there are in our entire town. Amazing. Uh, so that was the first one was the, am I, am I destroying them? Am I doing something that is going to cause irreparable harm to their psyches, to their sense of community, to their abilities to be successful adults? Um, so that was the first one. And the second one, honestly, was leaving, leaving y'all, leaving my tribe of incredibly supportive, amazing women, friends um, that have been 
you know, my, my backbone over the last several years with whatever the thing is that I wanted to do or try. And we have been, you know, for each other as this group of women, um, you know, you chief among them that have been incredibly important to my sense of safety, my sense of self, um, my, my ability to really talk through some of these risks that I wanted to take without judgment. So leaving that was, was very scary, is still very scary, because that's not a group of friends that I can replace, and nor would I want to. And I would agree. I think all four of us, this, this group of four women, um, that has truly been a non-judgmental, supportive space where we can bear ourselves, our souls, our, our difficulties without judgment. Um, one of the things that, that COVID has taught us, though, is that we don't have to be yeah. in the same room. It's nice when we are, but just like so many other things in life um, that we've had to do virtually because of COVID, we had to maintain our relationship virtually. So there's comfort, I would imagine, in knowing that we will continue to uh, text almost daily and have our little Zoom calls on occasion and speak on the phone. So we're, we're still there for you. And you for us, and it made us feel, it made us feel the same way. It made us feel also relieved to know that we were still connected. And it, it is very special to have supportive women in your life when you are a woman. Um, it's, it's a really it is. special. And it's, I think it's, it's necessary. It's, you know, it's necessary to, I don't know what it is about this stage of life, Melissa. Like we we all have kids that are in middle school and high school and finishing elementary school and we're mid-career professionals and we're all navigating aging parents and all sorts of issues that come along with this stage of life. Marriages ending, potentially beginning, like all of these things. And I think having those women in your life that you can lean on um, that in such a judgment-free way has been a lifesaver. And it's, you know, I would highly recommend that to any person. <laughs> find those people, find your tribe if you can, because um, it makes taking massive risks with your life so much easier to know that you have people who aren't going to call you an idiot. Or aren't going to back away because they think that you've stepped out of what is the prescribed line of behavior. And speaking of that support, how has your family handled this decision for you? You're clearly your children are are supportive. Your mother is supportive. What about the rest of your family? It's a real mix. Um, my, I'm very lucky that my brother and sister-in-law live in Asheville. So they are uh, within an hour of us. And they are also pretty judgment-free people. So they were just like, great, this is what you want to do? Okay. And we're actually helpful in finding this place, which was wonderful. Um, my youngest brother has been very supportive. He doesn't get it, but he's you know, if this is what you feel you need to do with your life kind of thing. My sister is very excited about uh, the chickens right now. She's very excited about the chickens. Um, and they actually helped me name them. The larger extended family, especially those that have lived and worked in agriculture, are befuddled, um, missed, but they're they're all just like, really? Okay. Okay. And every one of them, interestingly enough, has said, just don't quit your day job. Hmm. Like they, they come from a generation of American farming where you really, as so true even now, right. In traditional farming, so hard to make ends meet um, with the way in which the foods, the traditional food system is set up in our country that, you know, you have to, 
only grow one product or you have to have government subsidies in order to make it work or um, getting things to market is so expensive that by the time the, the farmer gets any kind of revenue, it is so small compared to the hours that went into creating whatever the thing was. Um, I, I don't intend to become a fully commercial farmer, so I think that my path is a little bit different than that. Um, but yeah. And I also think, you know, as we both have seen in both the podcast world and in Instagram and everything else, we are far from alone mm -hmm. in this idea of wanting to produce our own food, whether that's through a prolific suburban garden like you have, which is doing so many great things, or through what we intend to do here. So you mentioned your a mid-career professional. You mentioned not quitting your day job. And I'd like you to talk a little bit about the fact that you were able to find a job that you love that is also providing you with the flexibility to be able to do what you're doing from where you are currently doing it. And, um, and it ties in so many of the things that you love. The farm name is Chutzpah Hollow. And uh, Chutzpah, of course, being a great Yiddish word for, um, this is inappropriate, I'm sure. I always consider the translation to be ballsy. Yeah. Yeah, like... Um, it is. It's sort of having um, the... Audacity. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really that word even audacity makes so much because like this is my audacious dream. What I am doing is my audacious dream. So the farm name um, actually came to me literally after I came here for the first time um, to look at the land and to walk the land and there were lots of little great dips and, and hollows on the property. And I was thinking, you know, what are we going to call this? We're going to call it like a color, like gray sage farm was in play for a long time and all of these other things. And I was just like, it's chutzpah hollow. And that was it. It was just, it came to me right away. I was like, that's it. I'm done. That's the name. And it's important to me because what I want here and the way in which I live here is to create a Jewish home and to create a Jewish agricultural way of life. And in my day job, I work for a Jewish nonprofit organization. Um, and one of the incredible perks of working there is I actually get to have a Jewish educator, a one-on-one -on -one Jewish educator working with me. And so of course I find somebody who's in the Jewish agricultural space, which is wonderful. And I'm really excited about that. And I'm sure overcoming opportunities, we can continue to weave in some of those conversations too. But we are a Jewish family. Um, we are a Jewish multiracial family. Um, and so much of, for me, what it means to be Jewish is tied to my home life. It's much less about being inside of a synagogue, though I do love that. It's really about how I choose to live my day-to-day -day life. And the attention and the care for the earth and for the living things on it um, is a big part of that for me. It's a big part of, you know, we can find God in everything and everywhere. And I have never felt more surrounded by God and creation and spirit than I do in the morning when I get up here and I put my muck boots on and I go outside and take a walk around and see whatever is growing and blooming and living overnight change every day. The landscape changes and that's got nothing to do with me and everything to do with the power of the universe. So, um, yeah, we're going to, we're creating a Jewish farm. I recently heard a term eco Judaism yeah. and to describe kind of this wave of, Jews who are reconnecting with the earth, who are finding their spirituality in nature in some form or another, I would say that I also fall into that category. Yeah. And while I'm not living on a farm, I'm only doing that vicariously through you. I have 
definitely felt much more connected to um, my own spirituality over the past year and a half with the time I spend in my garden and watching a tiny little seed that has everything it needs to grow in the tiniest little dot of seemingly nothing. And then a couple days later in some water, there's little green sprouts coming out. To me, that is so amazing to watch and to, to look at all different kinds of seeds and what kinds of little sprouts come out of them. And then these plants and then food and food with more seeds that will grow more plants. It's just <laughs> phenomenal. And flowers and bees, it's like there's nothing more spiritual to me than that, as well as um, a beautiful sky and sunset. And it's just the constant wonders that are on display every single day. It's, it's yeah. really emotional and beautiful. So I can only imagine what kinds of experiences you're having there um, on the farm every day. And now that you've got some animals, which um, as much as I would love to talk only about chickens. I'm going to wait until a further episode to discuss chickens with you. Um, this particular episode, our inaugural episode is called Good Luck on Your Little Project. Hi. Yes. Can you tell me where that phrase came from? Like many things out here, it came from Tractor Supply. <laughs> uh, so I think I think it was our first full weekend here. Um I told the boys we've got to go to tractor supply in order to get some things because we needed to start preparing for the chickens, right? So the previous homeowners so lucky to leave me with a fully outfitted chicken coop. I mean, it's a little rough and ready, but it is completely functional and has roosting bars and has all of the things that you need and boxes and all the great, all the great things. Um, in a wonderful fenced in area even, which is even better. Um, but I wanted to clean it out and I wanted to fully clean it out, put down new bedding, scrub the inside, get everything ready. And that meant shovels and, um, pine shavings and, a few of the other wonderful things like food, food carriers and water, three and a half gallon water buckets and all the things that you need for your chickens. And so we loaded up in our not pickup truck, which I am coveting pickup trucks like I never in my life thought I would. Uh, loaded up in the car, went down to Tractor Supply, and we're walking through Tractor Supply, picking up a variety of things. And... Um, Three different times in my walking through tractor supply, different people said to me from the time we were walking through looking at the baby chicks to check out three different people, including two folks that worked there. And then a group of people in line behind us in the in the checkout line said, good luck on your little project. <laughs> and they were all being very nice. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't nasty or sarcastic. But I got in the car with the kids afterwards and I was like, is it what I'm wearing? Like <laughs> jeans and a t-shirt, right? I mean, it's not, it's not like I came from church. Um, so I kept thinking about that, like over the next couple of days, going, what is it that makes me clearly I'm a newbie, right? And so it wasn't what I bought. I bought like a manure shovel and a, a hose, I think, and some chicken scratch. And so, I mean, what it, but I didn't buy the chickens there. Um, but what made it so clear that we were new to this? And I still haven't figured it out. Uh, but clearly, there was this sense that we didn't somehow, I took it anyway, as we didn't, we didn't belong as regular shoppers of Tractor Supply. You didn't blend as they say. We definitely did not blend. But you know what, Melissa, my entire life, I have not blended. And so yeah. that I've gotten fairly immune to. Having two black children, right? 
I'm not used to the blending. Blending has never been a, a priority or for me, but I guess the utilitarian part of it, the fact that it was like, because no one said where you're from. I think that's the difference to me. Because I've gotten that question, of course, several times mm. since I've been here. It's like, where are you from? I've also learned I have an accent, apparently. Um, oh. But I don't think you do. Well, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you wouldn't. Um, but it wasn't that. It wasn't like, oh, you're new here. It was about whatever it was that I bought that we were doing something. That that was the little project. Have you been back to Tractor Supply? Yes. Oh my gosh. I went back to the tractor supply last week for something else. Can't remember what it was. And nobody said a word about it. Huh? Nobody said, you know, good luck on your little project or any of those things. And I felt so good. I got back in the car and I was talking to Nathan, my 16 year old. And I was like, nobody questioned my ability to be a tractor supply. So maybe it had to do with the way you were carrying yourself or you just seemed like you were awkward in a new space or something but mazel tov that's really exciting i was in tractor supply yesterday too so tractor supply out here is like target in the suburbs you run in for one thing and 192 dollars later for sure you know you've got new shovels and a feed can and some piece of equipment you had no idea you needed exactly Exactly. Where do you go for information and who are your role models when it comes to planning your farm? Are there YouTubers that have been influential, authors, podcasters, um, other homesteaders? Yeah. Yeah. So many. Melissa K. Norris, of course, is uh, very helpful as a YouTuber, um, as um, somebody that I've read her books over the last 10 years as I was trying to create a different kind of home for myself and my family. Um, Farm Stand Revival is an Instagrammer that I really do like. Um, There are tons. There are, you know, I tend to be, I tend to read the books and look for the folks that are also honestly uh, women who are doing this. What do you think is different about the perspective of a woman who is farming and homesteading versus men. Mm. I just personally tend to connect more with women and I have always valued my female relationships in a different way. Yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily like this distinction that I'm going to make. There's one thing about homesteading And then something different about farming, right? Farming to me is the commercial enterprise. Um, Homesteading is about providing for your family and creating something for your family's survival, for their well-being, et cetera. I think for generations, women were discounted in farming because they were viewed only as homesteaders. I think that a lot around the the advent of YouTube and Instagram and other public venues has taken homesteading to a different public arena. And that's often driven by women. And so um, these are women that are making commercial enterprises while simultaneously, in many cases, homeschooling and cooking three meals a day and or in some cases like mine, four or five meals a day, depending on how many sports activities have been going on and the amount that these boys eat. And I think that there's a newfound respect for what was traditionally considered women's side of farming. But it's also simple things like physical strength, right? I mean, as a woman, um, I don't have the same kind of physical, especially upper body strength that some men would have. Uh, Equipment is still built for men. So finding weed whackers and tractors and zero turn motors, mowers and all of that stuff that is much more built for the size of a woman. You know, I'm five foot six, right? So there are things that are that I look for advice specifically from people similar to me that, that are doing these things. And that happens to be women. Um, 
That's and so interesting. I never really thought about the equipment being designed for oh, yeah. larger people. That makes perfect sense. I mean, hold a weed whacker. You can tell they were basically where the space of the handles are, right? It's for a six foot tall man. Um, there's a lot of equipment that is harder for women to operate because we don't have the same kind of upper body strength and we don't have the same height, let alone, you know, most of us have a lot of body strength, God knows, and we can lift hundred pounds and all of that, but the equipment pieces of it are not built for people our size. And that, you know, it's a great resource to talk to and to see women and to hear what they're using and what they're doing and how they've created workarounds for things that were traditionally designed for men. Hmm. So interesting. I had never thought about that. Um, so the first week that you, uh, the, the first few days that you moved in to your farm, you were greeted by a very unpleasant task. And I was wondering if you could explain a little bit about this particular experience. And I know you know. The I'm day of the about. dead. The day of the dead. The day of the dead. One of the great things about this property <clears throat> is the previous homeowners um, created an aquaponics system. Aquaponics is a phenomenal way of growing a lot of leafy vegetables and herbs using fish and that, you know, the way in which fish are basically, there's no, there's no dirt, right? You're, you're growing in water. Um, and it's incredible and it is so environmentally sound and you can also produce three times what you would if you were growing in dirt by using this particular system. Plus you get multiple products and crops because you can also sell and eat the fish, right? So, Lots of good benefits to it. Anyway, we were taking over the farm and there was a week gap, a week's gap, seven days between the previous homeowners leaving and us moving in. And I was very worried about the fish and the previous homeowner, Bill, was very worried about the fish and the fish were koi and tilapia. And so we made this whole conversation around transferring the power over so that there would be no gap for the fish to ensure that their filters would stay on and the water flow would continue and all of those good and important things that you need to create basically a healthy aqua system. Something happened with the power. Power company transferred the power that came to the house, but not the power that went. Mm. So we get here and I, you know, it would get here very, very late at night and the um i don't go down to the greenhouse first thing because we got here at like 11 o'clock at night and everything was dark the next day i go down to the greenhouse and there are floating fish could you smell the fish before you got to the greenhouse i could smell the fish when i got to the door of the greenhouse okay. but the greenhouse is far down from the hat it's like and it's also downwind but it's like farther down from the house couldn't smell it until i got to the door and i was just like oh crap opened the door and there are these three massive like thousand gallon tanks one is a feeder tank where the babies are baby fish fingerlings then there's a tank of koi and a tank of tilapia and normally at the tank of koi there's a big window in it because the previous owner liked to look at the koi he was very fond of them and you could like they would be up against the glass and all of that wonderful stuff. And I got down there and there was nothing against the glass. And I was like, oh. and there's plastic tarps over the top of them. So I take up, I lift the tarp, and it oh, the no. smell, the smell was horrific. And they're floating ones. So I was like, okay, this is bad. And there the power is clearly not on. There's no aeration going on. There's no water flow going on. There's nothing happening. Oh, no. Same thing in the tilapia tank. So I come back to the house because the movers are showing up at seven o'clock that morning. Because we got here at 11 o'clock on one night and the movers were coming in at 7 a.m. the next day to deliver everything. So I'm up here with the movers for most of that day thinking I'm going to have to deal with this, but I'm not going to deal with it now. Day totally gets away from me. 
um, figure out the situation with the power, with the power company. They turn the power back on later that same day, which is great. But nonetheless, is now it was way too late, <laughs> way too late. So I get the boys and say, we have a horrible thing we have to do today. It's a horrible How many thing. fish are we talking about? 60, maybe 50 to 60 koi. And these are good sized adults. Like eight, eight inches to 12 inches koi you would find in your Chinese restaurant garden, right? I mean, so we're these, not talking about goldfish. No, no. Even the tilapia were probably six to eight inches long. But I mean, the koi are a couple of pounds a peach, a, a piece. And big, like big. So it's July in North Carolina. <clears throat> it's hot. We go down there. And the deal is, okay, we're going we're gonna to do this task, the three of us. My poor city children have been in the South for less than 48 hours. Um, <clears throat> we get shovels. We're going to bury the fish because I thought this horrific thing has happened. And we are at least going to be able to create some fertilizer out of it. We're going to put it in the land and it's going to take care of the land. And it's going to, we're going to build garden beds later. It's all rosy in my life in this moment. Um, we get down there and it is God awful hot and the maggots have taken over. Oh no. The maggots are all over the fish. The fish are all floating. They're bloated. They're splitting open. It was the most disgusting thing I have ever seen in my entire life. And So Sam and I, Sam is 11, are standing up on these ladders with fishing scoops, like nets, right? Trying to get the dead koi out of the water. Are they falling apart? They're splitting open. They're falling apart. The maggots are crawling. It is the most, and we have masks on, thank God, but still, there was no. My toes are curled right now. And I'm wondering how Sam is handling this. Sam, well, we both had to leave several times to gag. Like we both thought we were throwing up and we didn't want to throw up in our masks. So we had to leave the greenhouse several times to stand outside and gag and, you know, potentially throw up. Um, Sam is amazing in this whole process. We're sweating. I, I think my sweat was also a combination of tears because it was smell and but also because I was just horrified, just horrified. At how- and you have no choice. This has no, to be done. There's no one it. else to do no. it. No, because I mean, God forbid, you don't want predators to come in. You don't want predators to smell this, you know, smorgasbord of loveliness to come in. I don't want to destroy the tanks. I didn't want any fish decay to end up in the water system that was feeding the plants that were already there that were also a mess. But nonetheless, you don't want them to clog the piping. Like there were some real financial and um, safety concerns for me in this. And I just kept saying like, this is part of the deal. This is part of the deal. Farms include death. This is part of the deal. And where is Nathan? Nathan, so we're filling up dead fish into five gallon buckets, like Home Depot five gallon buckets. Nathan is coming to get the buckets and then walking up the steep hill to the garden bed and digging big old holes, deep holes, dumping dead fish in. So he's also having to deal with the maggots and the breaking of the fish and all of that because they were sloshing around in these buckets as he's walking up the hill. And he's burying them. And Sam and I just keep scooping. We just keep scooping. And we they're falling apart. And then you have to like reach down into the water and get them out. And it was... How long is this taking you? Start to finish, both tanks, an hour and a half. Okay. Not, so, not all that Right. Not all day. Definitely doable. And I walked out of there, first of all, smelling rancid, but I walked out of there with such respect for my children. Such an incredible amount of awe for my children, my little city children, who just never even questioned it, just said, this sucks and it's awful and it's disgusting and we're doing it. And there was never, nobody ever stomped up and down, ran out the door. Like, no one said, I'm going back to Maryland. Yeah. <laughs> you know? 
Wow. So that leads me to um, something really cool that you guys have started to do, which I think is so fun and um, a great way of kind of reflecting on your week. And that is every Friday, yeah. the Rhine family plays Never Have I Ever. Never Have I Ever. Every Friday. Yes. And, and it's not your traditional, like most things here, not your traditional Never Have I Ever. Because never have I ever here is the things we did the, that week that we have never done before, mostly attached to either the farm or living in a small town. And it's it's been, so we just finished week four, right? And it's been really helpful for me as a way of cataloging what we're learning and what we're doing. And everybody participates, which is great fun too. I have to say that I looked at the list of things and there were some that were not completely surprising um given your circumstance this week's week list of things um i believe it was this week's although one thing in particular did catch my eye and that was nathan saying that he has never had a pepsi yes nathan had pepsi this week for the first time <laughs> that was a big deal well it he was- is still a teenager and despite all of the things that he has never done that are related to farms and urban, uh, sorry, rural living, um, drinking a Pepsi. (laughs) He was very, uh, so, you know, 16, 16 is is a hard time to move. Um, and he's playing football, which is great. It's been wonderful to have some opportunity to meet a smaller group of kids and to go from a school of 2,200 kids to an entire school of 612, um, is going to be a, a huge deal. And they start school tomorrow, which will also be yet another week of transition. But football has been great. And he was invited to a party on uh, Thursday night, which was wonderful, at one of the football players' houses. And they were ordering pizza and playing basketball. And it was just this group of guys. And I was so happy for him. But yes, he got into the car and he said, I had a Pepsi. <laughs> it's That's just really like- funny. Not vaping, not smoking, no, right. no beer, Pepsi. And, you know, my kids don't don't really drink soda that much. And Nathan chooses to never drink soda. And just because of the way in which we live, um, soda's never been a staple in my house. It's really funny. So that was his big one this week. What is the most surprising thing that's happened to you and your family over the past month? I realize it's only been a month. Um, is there anything that really surprised you that you just weren't prepared for? You didn't expect. Um, the one it, it's it's unfortunate because the one thing that I'm thinking about is actually a negative, and it surprised me. And I've been trying to think about why it surprised me. Um, so. Because where we live is a little bit of um, an oddity, even in the neighborhood, like in this community, because of the aquaponics system, mm-hmm. um, people know the property. They know it because of the, the gigantic greenhouse, or they know it because it's the fish place. Um, and somebody in the community offered to buy the two spare tanks that we have here that are a thousand gallon tank specifically for aquaponics. There are two spare ones that are on the property. And they offered me a very small amount of money for the two tanks. Or she said, I'd be happy to trade you two goats because I hear you're interested in goats. So I have two Nubian bucks. You could start your, you could start with your flock with two Nubian bucks. So first of all, I happen to know how much these tanks actually retail for. I had done my research and she was offering about 10% of what it costs to buy, let alone transport these two. I mean, they have to be brought in on an 18 wheeler. I mean, they're two massive pieces of equipment, right? Um, So there was that. And then second of all, I'm not such adult that I don't know that you can't start a flock with two boys. Exactly. You know? And I was exactly. really upset. I was really upset by that. Like, you know, she, you think that I'm that new 
or that uninformed about the choices that I've made that I would say, oh, yeah, by all means, I want two male goats to start a flock. I did take biology. I Yeah, yeah. I'm aware of how reproduction works. <laughs> I've, I've made and people, children. you know? Right. I, I understand how this happens. And, like, I sat on that text all day long, and I was ta- I actually talked to Nathan about it, too. Like, this is, there's so many levels on this that it upset me, that the, it, what felt like swindling with the price of the tanks. What was clearly a, a vision for this person of starting a competitive business to the one that I have or could have in the aquaponics tanks, right? And then this whole idea of goat sex and how that would play out. And I was really bothered by it. I was really bothered by it. And I still, to this, I mean, I am not expecting that just because you live in a rural community that everybody is nice and supportive and helpful and kind and welcoming and all of that crap, because that doesn't happen no matter where you live. That, you know, kind of attitude happens. I don't care if you live in downtown Atlanta or you live in a town of 300 people. There are going to be people, right? Um, That's just the nature of humanity. But I was, I was really bothered by the fact that, that somebody would have assumed I have not done enough research to live here, I think is what it comes down to. So I would imagine this is a little bit where your professional self steps in and oh, thinks yeah. about... How do you diplomatically tell this person who is going to be a neighbor of yours in a very small town and you are inevitably going to interact with at some point um, over the next lifetime? Um, So how did you respond? I responded by saying, well, here's a website for the tank where the tanks were purchased and here's the retail price and then the shipping price. And I'm just not comfortable selling them for the price that you offered, um, given what I would know would be required to replace them. And second of all, on the goats, while I do have an interest in goats, two males are not going to be helpful to me right now. So I appreciate that, but I think I'm going to stick with what I've got right now. I'm going to keep the tank. Did she respond? Did she respond? Ah. No. Dead silence since then. Well, good. I think it's important that you establish that you are not, you may be new to town and you may be new to this lifestyle, but you are not new to the world and you uh, recognize a bad deal when you see one. Yeah. But my, my hyper-competitiveness and my um, indignation that I know, I know, Melissa, I know, I don't know a ton. And I am the first person to say, I don't know, or I am new to this. Um, But at the same time, I kind of want some mutual respect for the fact that I'm trying and I am asking questions and that I respect the people who have been doing this so much longer and better and more efficiently than I may ever do it. And I want to learn. I just don't want to be taken advantage of in that process. Yeah. So I have one more question that I want to ask you. It's a multiple choice question. Uh, Don't worry. I don't think there's a wrong answer here and you aren't going to be graded. So given your current state of mind one month in, would you say which of the following of these statements best describes your state of mind. This is exactly what I expected and I'm totally prepared. I feel a bit overwhelmed, but I think I have it all under control. Wow, this is a lot. I may be in over my head. Holy shit, what was I thinking? (laughs) E, all of the above at some point or another, or F, it's none of your business. Oh, that's so funny. Um, I'm going to say E, literally depending on what 12-minute increment of my day it is. 
there are moments where I was like, yep, this, I am way in over my head and it's exactly what I expected. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, right now there, there are, yeah. E. E. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. I guess I wouldn't have expected anything different. It sounds like there's so many joys, there's so many surprises, and so many that we have talked about offline uh, that I can't wait to get into in further episodes. There's so much more to talk about, and I'm really looking forward to future conversations and watching your farm grow and develop, and you as an individual and your family grow and develop in this wonderful new environment that you are in. And good luck on your little project, Wendy. (laughs) Gee, (laughs) little project, yeah. You will definitely be able to talk more about the little project.